From Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network, this is Between Sundays, a conversation about finding the sacred in the everyday. I'm your host, Bobby Sockle. Close to three years ago now, I was at a memorial service where they showed a short film. I had never seen anything like this at a funeral before. The film was quiet, and it pieced together long shots of family celebrations, a final vacation, and a beach scene where big balloons lifted off into the night sky. There wasn't a bunch of talking, And it all included scenes of the living. But it didn't shy away from the reality that we sat in during that service. That the one so central in the film was no longer with us. Today, I'm talking to Jay Gould. And Jay made that memorial film for his family after his brother-in-law Rick passed away. It would be many months later when I'd listen to Jay talk more of his own story and his love of the stories of others. So Jay is a filmmaker and a creative in many genres. And everything about that is interesting. But what's really interesting to me about Jay is how his own identity took a new turn partway through his adult life. And now he's incorporating more of who he is into his storytelling urge. For the next hour or so, you'll hear Jay and I talk about bigger ways to think about God, the story of Jay's adoption and his Métis ancestry, where creativity started for Jay and where it's taking him today. Jay ends with this amazing invitation to give yourself permission to be who you really are in creativity, but I think we can also say in all of life for as long as we get to live it. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Between Sundays. Welcome to the conversation. If I were to say, Jay Gould, who are you? What would you Tell me. Boy, um, I would say, not being terribly self-aware, that um, I am just a guy on a journey, journey of self-discovery, a journey of learning and experiencing creativity in my own life as as a part of that journey. I don't necessarily consider myself a creative, although I guess I, I guess I am very creative, but I just don't tend to think of myself in those terms. You know, like I just think of myself as me, and uh, this is where I'm at. These are the things that sort of move me at this point in my life. These are the things that I'm drawn to at this point in my life, and so that the creative part of me, I suppose, just comes out of who I am. It's it's not like in being a creative person, you know this. It's not like a switch. You just turn it on and off. It's like there are moments and and times in life where inspiration or creativity just finds you and you're like, oh, I have to do something with this. And so that sparks uh, maybe some ideas for some sort of outlet, whether that's like a film or, you know, poetry or writing a song or doodling, drawing something, whatever, however you express your creativity comes out. What's interesting to me about creativity is that we tend to think of creatives, I think, as people that paint, they're in the arts, they're musical, they're whatever sort of quote-unquote creative gift. But I find creativity throughout, uh, all all throughout um, the human experience. So business people tend to be very creative in terms of the things that they have to do to achieve success in business, whether that's with finance or, um, you know, what, whatever it has to do related to their business. So creativity is, it's, it's a sort of nebulous sort of term, I think, that we use. And um, I think sometimes we just limit it to certain types of people that we 
call quote unquote creative. Mm. But I think creativity in itself is much larger than we sort of imagined it to be. Like God. Huh. Just, right? just like God. Bigger than we imagine <laughs> him to be. Um, see how I snuck that in there? Yeah. So, the anyway, sacred. We're looking for the we're sacred, We're looking for Jay. the sacred, yeah. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I do. I think, you know, the older I get, the more imaginative I, I, imaginative I try to be in oh, life. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you think that's a typical trajectory of like development? Because I would almost think that's... I don't like know. We, we see ourselves as more creative in childhood, and to a degree, this kind of limiting. I don't know. Later. We're, I don't know. We're more creative in childhood as we are less restricted. Yeah. In terms of expressing our creativity, because as life progresses, you know that creative spark I think tends to get sort of um, pushed to the side. You know, in in light of just living life and doing life. So. Um, I was going to say something about that. I forgot what it was, but I think... Oh, you, we're talking uh, about being more imaginative. Yeah, being more imaginative. I think for me, I know what it was. For me, uh, I think one of the hindrances perhaps to my own uh, imagination or allowing my imagination to continue to grow was a lot of the religious sort of training, teaching that I um, absorbed throughout my you know, my, my Christian journey and my role in church world, I think you absorb, um, sort of the, uh, some of the sort of say religious ideas that sort of end up filtering into our mindsets and not always healthy religious ideas. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the specifics of like what your own road was like, uh, in terms of like the context for those things? Um, I think that we, as humans, when we get into subcultures, whether that's church or organizations or tribes or however you define these little subgroups of, of, of human culture, we end up somehow we develop strange, weird group behaviors. And I don't know where that comes from. I'd like to do a study in sociology and sort of explore the roots of that. But we, my experience was growing. I didn't grow. You asked me if I grew up in church. No, I didn't. My parents were both journalists, and so they were very adventurous and very uh, open to the world and experiences. And so growing up in that environment, I met a lot of really interesting people. Um, And so my early formative years were very sort of wide open to the possibilities of what life life is like and and what life can be for me. Um, But my journey into faith... um, that started when I was, you know, my teen years. And as I became more connected in with church, um, there were just, this is probably true for a lot of people, you just, it's through os- by osmosis mm-hmm. almost. You absorb some of the um, the religious ideas, or, or, or a better term for religious, but sort of the expected norms mm-hmm. of your subculture. Right. So and and you can see this in different denominations. Some denominations are very strict about certain things. Like back in my day, it was like there's no drinking, there's no dancing, there's no, you know, those kind of it's all behavior about Mm -hmm. behavior modification instead of about encouraging imagination and even within the the realm of faith. And so you you just you learn to observe these things and you sort of learn where the boundaries are within your subcultures and they're not always healthy. And so I find that boundaries, um, Jesus often, when he talked to the Pharisees, you know, they had rules for everything. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, when you start to live more by trying to avoid bad behavior than you do about living in a way that's about imagining how big and amazing your life could be in the hands of God and, and through faith, you can't help but... Um, have your imagination and your creativity stifled. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that just stifles your level of imagination because you develop um, sort of this fear of ever stepping over the line because we yeah. don't want to step over the lines. The yeah. lines are very important. Because it could mean like it jeopardizes relationship to the... To God, yeah. obviously, first of all. Well, I th- yeah. But even just like the the way that we sort of know in 
in these religious traditions or other subcultures. Like, yes. this is what I need to do to belong. Exactly. And if I challenge exactly. that, I lose. Exactly. So you're, we're not always yeah. like conscious of it, but you know, you know, like, it. Your that's, instinct. that's what I mean when yeah. I say you absorb it by osmosis. Yes. You learn like in, in, in uh, elementary school, you learn very quickly sort of your order, your role in the pecking order. Yeah. Right. It just happens. It happens. And so that happens within our church subcultures as well. Like you, you sort of learn where the acceptable roles are uh, within that culture. And so we, number one, we shouldn't ascribe to that sort of behavior. We should fight that with, with mm. all that we can for the, for the sake of preserving creativity and imagination and true faith. And um, part of true faith is being able to question things, right? Question without penalty. Yeah, so for me, growing up in church, I absorbed a lot of religious sort of, um, or, or not religious, but behavioral modification cues. Mm-hmm. It's like, and okay, it's like, okay, that joke is funny, but now, ooh, that's a bit over the line. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or, or well, this activity is okay, but oh, that's a bit over the line, you know. Oh, you know, you didn't, you missed, you've missed whatever, three services in a row. It's like... Nobody would say anything mm-hmm. outright, but it's like, oh, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, well, yeah, I'm fine. But, you know, some days I just don't go to church. Yeah. Some days I don't do what's expected in terms of religious behavior because it's not, um, that's not where the life is. Right. Right. So th- was that, so you did not grow up having to absorb those things? I didn't. I absorbed them later in later. my teen years. Teens. Teens, okay. yeah. And, and part of the reason I started going to church, I think, was uh, for acceptance, um, for relationships. I didn't have, I mean, I had a lot of friendships when I was younger, but I always, uh, my parents divorced when I was, well, actually, my parents moved around a lot when I was very small, but I always found them. <laughs> But when no, I'm kidding. But when uh, when I was 11, they ended up divorcing, and that was pretty uh-huh. traumatic uh, time period for me. So it was after that I sort of really began to search for uh, meaningful relationships, some some sort of uh, affirming relationships, and so drifted towards church. Didn't know any better, and I thought, well, these people seem nice. Did you just like stumble into a church, or did, were there friends that? It's funny because I knew in elementary school there was a couple of. Christian kids in my school, and they were the weird kids, right? Nobody ever talked to them. <laughs> and uh, I, it was when I was 16, I was really into sports, um, basketball. You can probably tell by looking at me, <laughs> quite athletic. So when I was 16, I went to this basketball camp uh, put on by Athletes in Action, Christian organization yeah. in Canada. And I met all these really awesome college ball players from uh, the States, and they were our counselors and stuff. And uh, they were these guys were just like superstars, right? Mm. It's it was like it's like meeting an NBA player. It's amazing. <laughs> and so I spent a whole week there, and each day one of the counselors would talk to me about Jesus and the Jesus story, and I'm like, "Well, that's interesting. That makes sense, yeah." And so that was sort of the beginning of my my faith journey in a, in a real way. Um, and after that, so they say, you know, okay, so you need to find a church, Christian fellowship, all of that kind of thing. So I did. And that was sort of my entrance into church life. And just did that on your own? Yeah. You were by yourself? Yeah, I was. I, I went to camp by myself. I mm. I was, I'm quite a, I'm quite a, um, a bit introverted, but quite an individualistic oh, okay. person. Like I'm pretty much okay. It's on like, my, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I'm pretty much yeah. okay on myself, most by myself most of the time, much to the chagrin and frustration of my poor wife. But <laughs> That's a, that's a learning, that's been a whole learning thing for me. Mm. But um, yeah, so very, and I see that in my daughter now too, which mm. is interesting, but um, very motivated just to go find something else that I was looking for. So my whole, my whole faith journey started out of that impetus to find something meaningful in life and to find other people who shared that mm. um, thing. But beyond that, I think the biggest motivator was just finding people that would that were affirming to me at that mm. point in life. Friends. I was looking for friends, really, I think. Mm. And I'm still looking for friends. So, <laughs> yeah, if you know you guys know anybody. Lifelong. If you want to be... <laughs> that's why you call us here. <laughs> I can't pay a lot. But, you know, I can. So, yeah. So, huh. that, that's really in a nutshell. Kind of where, where those things came together. This kind of longing and looking for. Yeah. And then finding yeah. it in church community. Yeah, but not church community. And, and finding connection... 
yeah, tell uh, talk a little bit more about what you found. I did find I found some really you're really still here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're still a part of. Well, yeah, I go three. I go Easter and Christmas. I'm still yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I did develop some some really key relationships uh, early on. The problem is when you're 20 years old. Unless you're exceptionally intelligent and exceptionally well-read and well-rounded and world-traveled, you really don't know good theology from bad theology, oh, yeah. right? So I ended up in, um, it's kind of like a word faith church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember those, but back in the day, Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and some yeah. of these guys were like the, the men of God, hmm. right? Anointed anointed leaders and so we would have services this is looking back this is so bizarre we would have services and in like in the early 80s we didn't have live broadcasts well we, i shouldn't say that we had satellite broadcast so we had a satellite dish on the roof of the school building that we rented and we would watch bob tilton live services and so we would be an audience audience full auditorium full of people and it would be a screen with bob tilton and uh music was on on the screen and we'd sing along and it was the weirdest thing i've ever experienced i we all thought hey this is amazing we're cutting edge leaning edge spiritual warriors but looking back i'm thinking that was just strange So anyways, yeah. So I asked Bob Tilton into my heart when I was about 20 <laughs> years old. And after that, things, things have been great ever since. Things have been amazing ever <laughs> since. Ever since. There was a lot of stuff that I had to unlearn oh, yeah. through that whole experience. Yeah. Uh, as with any um, subculture mm-hmm. where one gets into a subculture where there's extreme teaching mm-hmm. on the edge, on the fringe teaching. So... That it's taken a long time to get that yeah. out of my system. You know, it is interesting when we sort of think about settings that we later look back and think, "Oh, there's some toxic elements to yeah, absolutely, to it. Absolutely. and then it's actually toxic in me. It is toxic, bit. yeah. And to yeah. like get those toxins out is, a pro- yeah. What kind of process is it? I guess you needs a lot of grace. Yeah, for me, you know, a lot of times I don't have problem expressing grace for myself sometimes that's easy but the those things there there are things now that trigger in me responses based on my experience back then and so Mm -hmm. now I have to mind myself when it comes to extending grace to people now Mm -hmm. that um are perhaps I think would be kind of whatever lunatic fringe or way on the fringe and Mm -hmm. I you know my first inclination is to say, oh, my gosh, you know, what a freak. Um, but then I have to stop and think, okay, but wait a minute. You know, that person is in a place where they need just as much grace as I do. Mm. And, you know, their toxicity, whatever thing that's that's sort of um, got them bound up or got them stuck in that place, I need to have grace for them because mm-hmm. they're... Uh, we all get stuck in life, yeah. you know, and we all become, we all can become toxic at points. And what we need is not just um, someone judging us for our toxicity. We need someone to actually extend the knowledge branch yeah. and try to help us get out of that. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all humans. We all mm. share the, the same struggles. So, Do you think there's anything about the creativity of God that we could like pull from even the like fringe places. Oh my gosh. Yes. Absolutely. What what does that tell us that like, even in a place that we would look back in our own story and think, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm ashamed that this is what I identified with. But if we were to pull back like another sort of lens on it, would we see something of God even in, those places well, I or think, the ways of God's creativity? I think so, because like I said before, I think God is so much bigger than we give him credit for without wanting to even paint God as a patriarchal God. When right. I say him, I mean God. I know, I when, I say, say when I say him now, <laughs> my my viewpoint of God now is when we used to say he, it was like he, it's like God's a, God was a dude, right? Right. That's old school patriarchy. Yeah, Christian capital thinking. H. Now when I, I just refer to God as a he, but... When I when I'm thinking of God mm. now, it's like all encompassing, male, all all attributes, um, female included in His person. They have to be because He made mm. male and female, so mm. He has to have all those attributes mm. and more. 
He's got to be bigger than all of that, right? Mm. In fact, I was reading, here's a rabbit trail for you. I was reading (laughs) recently about down through church history, church leaders referring to the Holy Spirit more in the feminine Mm -hmm. than in the masculine. I think, wow. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't that blow a lot of evangelical minds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, I would have thought, ooh, that sounds a bit blasphemous right 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 the holy spirit's a girl oh boy it's a slippery slope (laughs) next thing we know you know but i that's part of that Mm fear-based um mentality that is a part of that subculture thinking which is about behavior modification staying within the lines it's like well why yeah why do i have to stay within the lines what's outside the lines i want to see what's outside the lines Mm. um there might be something amazing outside the lines right 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 right? And I'm not talking in terms of, you know, just being stupid and doing harmful things. I'm talking mm-hmm. about in terms of thinking and imagining the greatness of God and the world that we live in. Like, mm-hmm. why can't we imagine beyond what we think we know? Like, mm-hmm. what's the harm in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to have a, a, a posture of curiosity. Posture of curiosity. Yeah. Question without penalty. Yeah. I think that's so healthy. I really do. Jay, give me a little bit more of like some of the basic of your life, Sue. You're married to Brenda. Well, my mom loved my dad yeah. in a very special way. <laughs> that was the origin. Kids. Okay, kids. If so- you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> they used to wrestle on Friday nights and in the living room. And- okay. <laughs> Did you ever see Dennis the Menace? It's a great scene in there. Yeah, yeah he talks about that. Um so I was adopted, yeah. actually. So my um, my ancestry is Métis, First Nations. My dad was Métis. My mom was from Nova Scotia, um, from a very strongly religious, um, not um, Pentecostal, but very very strongly religious mm-hmm. family. And so she was a teacher. She was out in northern Alberta. My dad lived there, my birth father lived there, and they met up, and they had a very brief relationship, out of which I was the uh, surprise ending of that relationship. And so they uh, almost immediately, their relationship ended, and mom stayed, I think, just long enough to have me. Oh, she stayed in that community. Okay. Or in Edmonton, actually. Okay. Oh, can I see that? Edmonton, (laughs) Alberta, Jay Gould. (laughs) Kinfolk of, um, so she left after she gave me up for adoption. I was I was in foster care for about six months before I was actually adopted, and so she went back to Nova Scotia. I found this out later from my birth father because I contacted him probably six or seven years ago after the post adoption records were opened up. Just six or seven years ago. Yeah, years ago. Oh, I found all this out. Okay. Anyway, um, she went back. Never told anybody except her brother, my uncle. And so when I found the family name um, through the post-adoption records, thanks to Dr. Google, I quickly searched all the names I could find of my birth family out there. And the first number that I called was actually him, was my uncle. Really? Yeah. Who who, would have known the story? Who knew the story? Who was the only guy that knew the story? That's wild. Right? Of all the things. So all these years, you know, right. and birth uh, adoption stories, you imagine, you know, your your real family are like... Someone's at the doorbell. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen hey, someone's at, at some the, point. Did you guys know someone's <laughs> at the door? Oh, man. Um, first contact was my uncle back in Nova Scotia. Only guy that knew the story. And so he gave me the rundown on the family history. They were very religious, strongly religious family. Um, and so her, you know, getting pregnant, getting giving birth out of wedlock was a huge no-no. A lot of shame, a lot of guilt associated with that. And he also told me that several years back, before that, um, would have been my grandparents, I guess, were killed in a car crash. And apparently that had a devastating effect on this whole family so they 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 sound like a really unhappy bunch and hopefully they'll never hear me talking about this but it's a really sad story you know you always imagine i know what i was going to say you always imagine post adoption stories that you 
your family are like a group of senators or they're captains of industry. And I never hear that story pan out when I talk to adoption people. It's always like, oh, my mom was a drunk and she was addicted to drugs and she gave me up and and threw herself over a bridge. And that's my story. So I would have been better if I'd never known, right? I hear those kind of stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, adoption stories. There's a lot of uh, hard stories there. Hard and did that, did that conversation in the story with your uncle, your yeah. biological uncle, was, did that just flow? Like, was, was he like, I've been waiting for your call. <laughs> he like, did, he did he say that. He just was like, here we go. This he is did the say that. Yeah. conversation yeah, that I knew what happened. It someday. wasn't quite like that. He wasn't yeah. nearly as enthusiastic as you were. So, I mean, if you had been my aunt, <laughs> right. my life might have been. I am com- a very good aunt. <laughs> right. My life could have totally different trajectory. <laughs> I might have been in Jurassic Park instead of <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so he was like, he's very quiet. I said, okay. I said, hi. This I just wanted I'm to let you know this this is who I am. Got your number through uh, post adoption records. Well, I got your number through Google after finding the family name, and um, he got quiet for a minute. And he said, Oh, he said, I wondered if this day would ever come. And I said, well, I wasn't really sure what to say. It was like, oh, yeah. okay. It was like, I said, so I said, uh, yeah, so here we are. I said, I'm just phoning to uh, get some family background. If there's anything you can tell me about family, I'm also interested in perhaps uh, connecting with my mother at some point, if that's something that she'd be open to. So he proceeded to give me the rundown on family history, and that's, Kind of where mm-hmm. the sad story came out. Mm. She never told anybody that she was pregnant except mm. him. And so we sort of left it at that. I said, okay, well, I'll leave it with you. And, and I said, maybe you could talk to her and see if um, she's interested at all in having some sort of, picking up any sort of conversation. So that was that. And uh, and then I never heard back from him. So I, I called back again. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know when you call somebody yeah. and it's like, it's like, you just feel like you're annoying them. Oh, <laughs> it's like you're interrupting yeah. their day. So anyway, I call him and I say, hey, it's me again. He said, he said, yeah. He said, I'm sorry. She's just not interested wow. in having any sort of conversation. It's too painful for her. Wow. I thought, okay, well, do I cry now or right. what do I do about this? Because I have no relationship. I've never had yeah. any relationship with this woman. So to me, I, she's a bit of this unknown entity, mm-hmm. more of a mystery than an actual mm-hmm. person. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, we'll just leave it at that. And then after that, I've, you know, I've been thinking about it and I thought about it and I just realized that she just must've been a terribly unhappy person Mm. weighed down with all of this. Yeah, it guilt just strikes all of these me like years. all this, this way that Can you imagine? a story like, it occupies space inside of you, but right? it isn't anywhere else. Yeah, like yeah. how that fundamentally changes you. I mean, look at me. Look what she's missing out on. Well, I honestly am thinking that, Jay. Right? I think what what an opportunity for some healing. But uh, how could I even imagine yeah. like what it's like right. for her right. or, or what her story and is. And I'm, I'm kind of joking about that. But I think, and not, but not, not really, because yeah. you know, I think that I think hearing my story, yeah, and knowing that um, for her to know that, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I've, I've done some amazing things and experienced some amazing things in life because she gave me the gift of birth. Um, I, I would think that that would be yeah. somehow. Um, I don't know, wouldn't bring closure to her, but would bring some sort of positivity to her experience, which in her mind is still mostly yeah. completely negative. Yes, right? yes, that yes, whole thing. Yeah. And it's so negative, in yeah. fact, that she can't even explore the idea of starting that story or, or connecting with that story again later in life. So. It strikes me too that like what we do to protect ourselves, like and like yeah. how hard yeah. one often works, right. that that even if the, the opportunity is there, right for something good it's yeah. like i don't know that that's a guarantee yeah i don't know how to be open to it but yeah, exactly yeah yeah so huh. yeah so that was sort of the end of it and i just sort of moved on and um i did have a better conversation with my my birth dad oh uh, unfortunately he passed away a few years later so i never got oh. a chance to go meet him which i wanted to do but um he gave me the whole family history down through like five generations back to the uh, 
to the Hudson's Bay traders. What? Yeah. So these, you know, these rowdy Englishmen coming over, marrying all the indigenous women, having kids and building colonies and, you know, uh, creating industry and all, all of these things. Um, yeah, he gave me, he gave me like five generations wow. back. So I've been in the process of trying to get my Métis status, which I've been unsuccessful huh. uh, as of yet. What's proving to be the challenges in that? I is don't, particular... I just don't think they like me. I don't know. I think I insulted somebody at the registry or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it is. Huh. I gave them, my, my, my dad, my birth father had a Métis card. I okay. even gave them the number. So like... Come on, you guys. What what more do you need? So I didn't push really hard, but I'm gonna I've got more connections now, so I think I'm gonna pick up that 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 uh, process again. Honestly, I have blonde haired, blue eyed friends that, you know, have more status than I do. I'm like, come on, look at me. <laughs> look at me. Right? So yeah, we'll see. We'll that's, see where that's that goes. interesting. But I, I do identify why. as Metis. Mm-hmm. And what was that not, like for you to... Not sure if I'm technically allowed to, but I'm oh. doing it anyways. Yeah. I'm a rebel soul. <laughs> and I can get away with it. So, Like, what did that do for you to say, actually, this is who I am? To add that to your identity. You know, it's... To uncover it. Or... Yeah. I, I think it's... I think it roots you, in a sense, to other people on the earth. You know, the Hebrews... Uh, genealogy is everything, right? If you look at the Old Testament, your genealogy is everything to you because it roots you in history. It roots you to stories. It roots you to people. And so for me, I think it's kind of like that. It it roots me to the story of indigenous people in Canada. It roots me to the story of the early Europeans who came Mm -hmm. over and the relationships that developed between them and all of the stories that came out of that. I'm a part of that now, Mm -hmm. whereas before... I was just um, a baby born in Edmonton. Mm. That's all kind of all we know. Mm. Nobody really wanted you. So these nice people came along and took you home. Well, they couldn't have kids. So they would have had their own, but they, they couldn't. So then they had you. So you're, you know, next best thing or second in line. I guess, <laughs> is um, so beyond that, it, there's more, there's, you know, there's more to me in terms of my history and my story. It goes, goes, goes further back. And... In the story of humanity, that's, you know, it's, 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 um, we are one big story. And so putting together those pieces that connect you to other people, other stories, I think it's so, it's been so helpful for me. Mm. I'm not sure in terms of, you know, who I am as a person, it's affected me that much. Mm. Or, yeah, yeah. Kind of the same idiot I've always been. <laughs> um, knowing that I'm part me, that doesn't change that, right? Okay, so, okay. So, yeah, it's interesting to wonder about how, yeah, like ways of, I, identifying ourselves like is it that you have a a a label for something that was already kind of true for you Mm -hmm. uh you know uh, that Mm -hmm. that's that's interesting to think about like yeah even like in our genes like in our like we you know there's the the language of like the body keeps the score like um trauma Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. trauma that's passed from Mm -hmm. generation to generation absolutely like yeah it makes me wonder oh like this makes sense of my story or like how i feel in my body or my response to things sure it does i think a big part of how we identify ourselves um comes through our early childhood our our bonding experience with our parents particularly our fathers because that's ends up being the voice in our heads Mm. uh, quite often and so as we grow old you know that voice in our head we we assume it's ours but really uh, I think a lot of the way that we think about ourselves was put there by by our, our, our parents early on. Hmm. And so if that's a good experience and very affirming and very positive, you know, you're probably a pretty confident, um, happy, well-adjusted person. If you grew up with a lot of baggage from your parents, um, you probably have a different um, recording playing in your head, right? So, And you're right, though, too. I think they've done studies with... Holocaust survivors and their children, that mm-hmm. that trauma is passed on. Mm-hmm. Indigenous uh, indigenous people, huge trauma passed mm-hmm. on. And I don't think enough people understand the ramifications of that. Uh, and I know that they don't because I read all these stupid comments on Facebook mm-hmm. about Indigenous people all the time. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know what, you, please 
do yourself and the rest of us a favor. Just inform yourself mm-hmm. just a little just bit about, about this population mm-hmm. that we've been sharing this mm-hmm. this land with for 200 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but that's my kind of thought is, you know, our immediate sort of self-image, like connected to how I think about myself in a moment by moment. That's more, I think, a byproduct of our our birth mm. or the, yeah, like the people that raise theory us. stuff to like whatever yeah, yeah. Re- theory of relativity yeah, yeah all, <laughs> all that stuff that, all, all that, that stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you a filmmaker i am a film thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> calling me a filmmaker well you, you people always say hey this is jay he's a videographer and it's I hate that word. Oh, it was so glad I, I maybe, didn't even think you know, of that as When an I say that, even in my own ears, it sounds pretentious. But I always associate, you know, videographer with the creepy uncle with the camera at the wedding. That's <laughs> that's a videographer just recording stuff. Yeah. Who knows what he's going to do with it? Um, a filmmaker <laughs> or storyteller or a designer is, is about telling stories, and video just happens to be a, a medium. So I'm not really pretentious about that. I just like to joke about it because a lot of I, I, a lot of creative people tend to be pretentious, and I don't. I don't really <laughs> you like, like to that. kind of make fun I, of that. I do. I do. It's a <laughs> passive aggressive thing. I'll zero right in on that. But I mean, step on it. I, I think it. words are important, and words are like important. our association with the word is important. It and, is. Yeah. Um, so I thought of you as a filmmaker, but I was like, oh, I wonder if Jay calls himself that. You know, honestly, I go more by storyteller than I do oh. filmmaker because I think it's more relevant in terms of who I am my history, my connection to the world, and my interest in the world as one big story, mm. whether that's the the story of the gospel, the story of God, that's that's an amazing, it's mm. the largest God in humanity, that's the biggest story there is. But everything in life is a story. Our journeys are stories. Um, the people that we relate to, everybody has a story, and we're all, to, we're all doing life together uh, and experiencing stories in different ways. So for me, storytelling is is um, sort of how I define myself. Because filmmaker is, when I think filmmaker, that's, you know, you make film, you take it to an indie fest or whatever, or it goes on a big screen, that's a film. And it's sort of defining. But now, you know, there's like 12-year-old kids on YouTubers, I think, are amazing filmmakers and storytellers, mm-hmm. um, Instagrammers, influencers. Mm-hmm. There are some amazing people out there, and they're storytelling um, using video, using um, using gifs, using boomerangs, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, so that's storytelling. So I think um, filmmaking is just one aspect of storytelling. I think again, it's about ima- it's about imagination. It's like I want to imagine something bigger than that. I don't want to be. So I'm not just a documentary filmmaker. I might make documentary films, and that's cool. But I want to do a whole bunch of other stuff too. Mm. Uh, so I don't want to just be defined by that. So. That sounds really pretentious. Yeah. Don't, now I'm going <laughs> to try to call you story. No, I'm going to call you filmmaker anyways. Uh, but I'm curious about the story yeah. of you getting interested in film as a story telling me. Yeah. Well, I'm a visual guy. Okay. I started, I started, uh, I don't know if you probably don't remember this, but back in the late 70s, G.I. Joe had this awesome uh, army training camp. I mean, it was amazing. It w- They had a tower. It was about three feet tall and it was like a zip line. And I had probably three or four G.I. Joe uh, with the Kung Fu grip, I may add. So you could fight. He could grab onto things. Oh, nice. So I would set up G.I. Joe at the Army Training Center. And, and then I would go around and just take photos of them. Position oh, them climbing on okay. things and taking photos and stuff. And then I destroyed them with, you know, hot needles, poking bullet holes <laughs> and everything. That was a bit of extreme. But so I was <laughs> always like, something out. so I was about, this looks so cool, my little army camp. I'm going to take photos of this. Uh, so that was sort of my first real interest. Everything for me is imagery, imagery driven. Uh. And so um, that was sort of just a natural outlet for that. So photography early on. Um, didn't do a lot of that sort of filmmaking photography stuff for, for a lot of years after. That was mostly music. And then later on, I picked up the camera again and started doing film stuff. Uh, I worked for a volunteer I worked for a nonprofit organization here in Calgary for a while and started doing video for them back in the early 90s when sort of video software became available to the average person. Started getting them tell stories and start using video because 
looking ahead, obviously, video was going to yeah. be huge, you know. Yeah. Um, and this was 10 years before YouTube. So, yeah, so I'm pretty much a visionary guy. <laughs> predicting oh, where obviously. things are going, maybe. Can you talk a little bit more about, because uh, it sounds like you kind of have these two worlds of like this business, the work that you do for others, yeah. and then the work that you pursue on your yeah. own. And yeah. can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, uh, Which one would you rather? Yeah, like what, what kinds of things are you making for other people? What kinds of things, even just currently, current projects or m- more recent projects? Um, do a lot of corporate projects, a lot okay. of uh, business projects. Um, sort of the bread and butter, okay. buttery things. But, you know, in this day and age where content creation is really quickly becoming a thing mm. and there are a lot of really good content creators out there, I'm trying to head that way because I've realized I'm such a micromanager and such a control freak. It's just better if I create my own stuff and then I have nobody to blame if it doesn't doesn't go over, right? <laughs> um, but I do feel that I have a lot of creative ideas that are best served if I do them myself. So, for example, um, I'm just starting uh, a new web series. It's called Car People. So I don't know if you're, you know, car people, if you're a car person or if you know car people. But but there's a lot of car shows out on YouTube mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's basically a inter- uh, personality talking about tech specs of some car that everybody loves to geek out. And the host may or may not be interesting. But people are genuinely there because they're interested in the cars. So I thought, why don't we do a series about people who have really cool cars, but who happen to be interesting people. Mm -hmm. And let's let them tell their story and hear from them firsthand Mm -hmm. what it's like. Like, where does that passion and emotion come from uh, for you as a, you know, car collector? You got this, whatever, 1953 MG convertible. I don't know if they made them then. I didn't know what that is. A little sports car, right? <laughs> so great. it's like, so why are you so passionate about this car? Because people who own collector cars are very passionate uh-huh. about the vehicles that they drive. And I'm I'm learning this the more I meet them. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear the same guy every week talking about, you know, whatever this, this part of a motor. 1400 cc's on this. You know, <laughs> it's like, I want to know why this person is madly in love with right. this car. And spends a bunch of time Spends and time and resources and um, will talk endlessly about their mm-hmm. experiences with this car. So that's one project that I'm working on right now. So that's, for me, in terms of content creation, that's yeah. something I'm trying to get off the ground so that eventually I can just become my own creator create my own content have my own channels and and basically be my own studio so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull in the sort of theme yeah of this like where where would we see like the spark of life and the sacred in a a woman say talking about this collector car great question great question no you wouldn't it's for me it's just about making money at this point (laughs) um no i'm kidding It, it really it that spark is there. For me, the creative spark for me is when I can connect with anybody, any human, about something that um, lights them up. Mm-hmm. There's something that makes you them passionate it. about. There's something mm-hmm. that makes them passionate about this experience because life is about experiences. And just because it's not um, necessarily a sacred experience doesn't mean that God hasn't, uh, right. but God hasn't it? blessed it and put right. in it, right? right? It's like we're human. We're meant to experience mm-hmm. things. And so anytime I can capture that, I can capture that spark somewhere. I want to capture that mm-hmm. and share that. Right. That's just part of who I am. It's about sharing. Uh, on an emotional level, I like capturing positive emotions from people, people that are inspired, people that are happy, people that are laughing. I like those kind laughing. of emotions. Mm-hmm. And so... The car format thing, well, that's just a fun thing where people are emotional and passionate about this activity that they do. So I'm like, I'm curious about that. What What is that part of you that gets so lit up when you talk about this thing that you just spend money on and endlessly work on and sucks up your, sucks up your, your free time? There's that human thing yeah. that I want to key in on that's alive, and I like that, and that that's what yeah. I'm drawn to. And it strikes me, too, that like when we... Like, even though I'm not a car person, yeah. don't give a boop, boop about yeah. <laughs> about a car. Yeah. But I would be so interested in somebody talking passionately about this thing that they love, especially yeah. if it's so different from the things I love. Right. Because that recognition mm-hmm. of like 
loving something, delighting yeah. in yeah. something, yeah. finding such like just joy. Yeah. Uh, it does something to my imagination, right? right? Like right. it is so, it's it's a sacred thing. Yes. To, um, well, what is that for me? And like, what is that like life-giving thing that is just uniquely mine? I right. love it. Yeah. Um, that that is sacred. Yeah, absolutely. But, the other thing about what I'm learning about like car people, and I, I was very specific about calling it the car people because people um, congregate around Ooh, I like, hobbies I like and things. the word congregate around it. Right? Yeah. So car people, they're about their cars. And so they have this thing in common. So when they get together and go for a cruise, they have a club meeting, whatever, it's all about the cars. But they have this thing in common. Mm-hmm. And I find that we as humans, it's that subculture thing. Yes, we, yeah. like, we like to connect with these little subcultures. Yeah. So for me, in practical terms, you know, there's there's horse people maybe, you know, there's airplane people there's boat people there's motorcycle mm-hmm. people there's all these mm-hmm. sort of sub communities mm-hmm. that kind of exist uh by this other mechanism and i'm like that's really interesting to me i, like, I want to explore that um so car people is sort of the first foray into that. plus i like cars and who doesn't like cars I don't think I do. Besides you. Besides you. <laughs> Maybe you're a motorcycle person. I did grow up on dirt bikes. Maybe you're an exotic cigar person. You just haven't I haven't s- tried them, but right? could, it could be. I could watch somebody be excited about their car, and then I'll pick up exotic cigars. You could. You could. It could really happen. <laughs> it's a good image, It could really, really. happen. <laughs> and you could make a film about it. I can make a film, because I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I wouldn't mind talking about Inspired Indigenous too. If you're yes, interested, that's, if you're I interested do want to go there. I do want to go there. Indigenous stuff. Or if you I don't do really want to go there. Let's, let's talk stuff, about that's okay. it. That's great because I went back to your YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So, and and uh, it occurred to me how curated, like it's a curation. It is. That's that wasn't my original intent, but oh, that's what I ended up with because I just wanted so to get something out the door. So let's introduce it to people because they okay. won't know what I'm talking about. So you have a, is it a channel? Yeah, it's yeah, a YouTube a channel, channel. YouTube channel called Inspired Indigenous. Yeah. And you have some subscribers. Yeah, not many. Could use a few more. Could use a few. Nudge, nudge. 100,000 more. <laughs> uh, and how many of these films have you made? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I Probably, mm, there's a fair bit of content on there. Yeah. Uh, if it was just the stuff that I had made... It probably would be about a third of the size, I think. Okay, but yeah, you're. But I, I thought at first they were things that you had made, and then I was like, oh, there's like an interview from the National. Yeah. So you're curating. I'm curating. Yeah. At least for now, the goal is to. So the purpose of the site is to inspire viewers with Indigenous stories mm-hmm. and Indigenous people. Um, educate viewers with Indigenous history, mm-hmm. culture, current realities. And hopefully to ignite, inspire some sort of response from viewers to actually think about ways to become an ally, become a friend Mm -hmm. to an Indigenous community, individual, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like for them. The reason I started, well, the the impetus for the channel came from a project on there. It's called the Northern Star Project. Yes, I was going to ask you about this. I started that about three years ago. No, actually, that idea for the Northern Star Project started in about 2013. Okay, and it looks like you're highlighting different, uh, different people. Yeah, like each per each yeah. episode is a person. Each episode is a person. So mm-hmm. the original idea, this was the the precursor to Inspired Indigenous, was this series called the Northern Star Project. I wanted to tell the stories of outstanding Indigenous achievers making the world a better place. And the reason I wanted to do that, and still that's the main reason that the channel exists, is because I want to change the conversation that we have in this country about Indigenous people mm-hmm. from being mostly negative stereotypes um, that just kind of keeps getting regurgitated mm-hmm. over and over. I want to have a real conversation mm-hmm. about uh, what Indigenous people really are. Like, I want people to, to really understand what Indigenous people, who they are, what they are really like, and why you should have a relationship with with them. Why you should take the step to develop a relationship with... That they indigenous. might actually bring something to you, not 
yeah. always this like, oh, I, I'm going to, yeah. especially in the church, I think we have especially this way of being. Especially in the being, church. Yeah. It's like, well, I have something to, to help yeah. you. And that's not and it And my experience has been, no, I have a lot to learn yeah, absolutely. Uh, from you. Which is not to say that we don't have a lot to offer Indigenous people. We do, absolutely. And I think we have a responsibility because of the treatment of Indigenous people for the past 200 years, but not maybe the way that you think you yes. have a responsibility. Yeah, you don't get to dictate it. You, or we no, like, no. Yeah, it's about finding ways to have partnerships. It's about yeah. finding ways to build relationship with Indigenous people, which means you have to actually go and meet some Indigenous people. You have to learn from them what it's like to be Indigenous in this day and age. You have to learn to understand their culture and you have to learn to appreciate who they are as a people. You have to really understand who they are. Mm-hmm. Then... They might allow you or they might invite you to extend some sort of um, or they might invite you into some sort of relationship. That's the hope. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, it's, it's about true partnerships, about true friendship. It's it's really like, um, well, when the, the first Europeans arrived, the indigenous people were here. They welcomed them. They created treaties mm-hmm. with them to look after them, to help them get through the winters mm-hmm. because the early Europeans would have died if yeah. it weren't for the indigenous people. And so this idea of treaty was sort of like this partnership. Yeah. That's the original intent of the treaties. And we are so far from that now. Yeah. But to me, it's like we're going to be here for the foreseeable future. Why can't we just, as Canadians, learn to appreciate, understand, and how to repartner, reconnect with our Indigenous people so that mm. we can share things equitably, mm-hmm. why, so we can treat them uh, with equality mm-hmm. uh, and fairness. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just level the playing field for all of us? Um, what's wrong with that? Are we going to lose out by doing that? I don't think so. So, so part what, of do, that, what are the particulars of a one person story how do, how does that so the the reason i did that was because i wanted to introduce um these amazing humans as human beings first and indigenous people second mm-hmm. so we can all relate to people that achieve i think in, in some level or at least we can be inspired by people that achieve and particularly people that have had to overcome really really difficult circumstances as all of these all of these people have more so than most of us will ever have to experience in our lives. Can you just walk through one of the stories? Alex Jambier. He's uh, one of the native group of seven artists. He's been painting since the the 50s, I think he started. Grew up uh, Cold Lake Reserve. Um, I can't remember. He has a number. He has a band number that he he used to sign his paintings with. Um, He lived during the days of the Indian agent, when the Indian agent had to escort you off the reserve if you wanted to go into white society, if you wanted to go into Calgary or Edmonton, um, grossly mistreated mm-hmm. by um, society, non-Indigenous society for, for a lot of his life. Still today, he, he faces, um, he faces uh, difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, but he became one of the most prolific Canadian artists of, of our generation, and he is incredibly talented. Mm. And so I wanted to talk to him about his story and um, I wanted to hear from, I just wanted to hear his experience. You know, what does it mean to be an Indigenous artist um, so noted, so recognized for his his gifts and his art, but yet still very much considered by uh, much of our society be second-class citizen mm. and still living on the reserve, which he's proud of, by the mm-hmm. way. In fact, his studio is on the reserve, Cold Lake. Home. Beautiful. Um, but here's a guy who lived through it all. Like, you know, back in the 50s when um, residential schools were still in full swing. And like I said, the Indian agent was in charge of everything. Very limited freedom. Very, I mean, basically you're... you're um, you're segregated, right? Yeah. You're segregated. So I, I wanted to listen to him and, and hear his story. He's a mm. funny, funny guy. Funny, uh. funny guy. And he's a brilliant poet. He's one of the best writers I've ever wow. I've ever met. It strikes me that the title that you gave yeah. that video is The Gift of the Creator. Yeah. You know what's amazing to me about Indigenous people is their spirituality. They're so connected to the earth, they're so connected to Creator, um, and they're so—it's such a central part of who they are as a people. And the and 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 a lot of them, they believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. and 
and uh, understand the gospel. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. And it's like, to me, I, I, I wonder, how do you think? Yeah, like, yeah. How do you think? Because the Jesus people were yeah. the original sort yeah. of invaders yes. that moved you. Yeah, took your kids away. Took your kids away, subjected them to all kinds of abuse um, and yeah. have been subjecting Indigenous it, people for generations. It strikes me to go back to your language of imagination of God. Yeah. Like that there, that there's something in the stories that you're telling yeah. that are connected to a larger imagination than God, than the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and I think Indigenous people have a huge imagination when it comes to the earth and the world that they live in. And they don't make the same distinctions that we do mm-hmm. between what's sacred and what's not sacred. It's yes. just like it's all yes. sacred because yeah. creator is in everything and through everything. And it's like, wow, imagine if we thought about mm-hmm. Jesus like that. Like mm-hmm. Jesus is with me everywhere I go. And yeah. technically, we, we, say technically it, we understand but that. But do we? <laughs> yes. The spirit, right. the spirit in everything right. that I'm doing right now. Yeah. It's like, hmm, it's a... I'm just, I'm amazed at the culture of indigenous people. I really am. I'm amazed by their tenacity, mm-hmm. their pride in their culture, their community. As much as there's dysfunction and there's so many problems, they're, they're very proud of who they are and their ancestry, where yeah, they come yeah. from. And, um, and generosity. And generosity and humor. And, and humor. humor is huge. Yes. And there's a real lack of... Um, bitterness and resentment directed towards white people there's a lot of hurt but there's but i just don't get that same you know like i hear terrible things um said about indigenous people by white people that Mm -hmm. i would never hear an indigenous person say right about us i'm like so what does that say about them as a culture it's like yikes yeah it makes me think of a a story when i was living in vancouver and it was rainy and i had these boots as is prone to do in vancouver always 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 and i had these boots and they had beadwork on them and but they weren't they weren't they weren't uh, legit no they were like it was appropriated it was appropriated artwork and i was sitting beside an indigenous man and i felt embarrassed about my boots because i was like these were made by a brand you know a global brand and i got them you know as i spent a bunch of money on them shame on you and this gentleman was like i love the beadwork on Aww. your on your boots where did who did it and i said oh i'm so sorry like some large company some large global brand made these did not care yeah at all yeah i was totally embarrassed by my appropriated <laughs> artwork yeah, yeah. and then he proceeded to tell me a story of his mother's beadwork right. like we had this human yeah. connecting moment yeah. when i Beautiful. thought oh you should just like take these boots off me and throw them out the window because yeah. this is gross <laughs> i should just i should just walk on barefoot <laughs> exactly now. i deserve it, I deserve it. <laughs> and uh, instead just didn't right? even bat an eye just like let yeah. me tell you about the beadwork that my mother yeah. does it was yeah. beautiful the the was beautiful my indigenous time. friends that i met are so in touch with their humanity and so understand the importance of humanity or, or what true humanity is so that's community it's empathy it's all of the things the seven sacred teachings mm-hmm. um powerful powerful teachings. not a lot unlike the, uh, yeah. the ten commandments no. actually funny all, that, i was just listening to an audio that. book where it opens with the the seven teachings and i was like this all rings so true yeah i know this such a it's such a rich amazing culture and and yet so broken still and and so much uh so much trauma from Mm -hmm. generations Mm -hmm. generations previous who endured so many atrocious things Mm -hmm. so for me the the create the creative part about it is uh or the sacred part for me is about you know, Jesus talks about justice mm-hmm. and restoration and healing. And it's like, to me, it's like, this is the greatest need in our country mm-hmm. is our relationship with our First Nations people. Mm-hmm. It's like, why can't we, why can't we reach into that? Mm-hmm. Why can't we engage with that? Mm-hmm. And particularly in so church. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's a tough one in the church, like mm-hmm. you said. But the church, I think, should be the first place. And there are churches I've seen that are actually mm-hmm. doing a lot of work with Indigenous people but really that's the place where it needs to start because if we want to be honest about it it's it is kind of our fault yeah exactly <laughs> it's and our predecessors we should be pretty familiar right? with reconciliation we ought to be like we now. should know how to live that yeah um yeah do you want to say anything more about inspired indigenous yeah so yeah the the so that 
the Northern Star Project was that kind of the impetus for that. And then I thought, you know what? Why don't I just create a channel for people to do those three things? Mm-hmm. So we'll change the conversation by having a bigger conversation by, or, or by doing specific things, inspiring people with indigenous culture, history, traditions, um, informing people. Mm-hmm. About like, so that's why I've curated a lot of the mm-hmm. content is like, oh, what about this thing about indigenous mm-hmm. people? How do I approach that? Well, there's stuff on there. Yes. For people to look up, like Wab Canoe, and then there's yeah. some CBC Cheryl stuff. Bear. Yeah, Cheryl Bear. Cheryl Bear, one of the most brilliant women I know. Hmm. And and honestly, a, a lot of the, my indigenous friends, they're smarter than me. They're better educated. They're better informed. So it's like, you know, I'm not really doing them a lot of favors by trying to do this. I'm basically trying to say to Canadians, hey, you, mm-hmm. you guys, you got to meet my friends. Yes, yes, They're yes, amazing. Yes. They're yeah. amazing. Yeah. And they don't need me to say that. No. But nobody really in our society is saying that, so I'm saying yeah. it. Yeah, and, and if we can sort of form... I mean, I feel like that even when I reference different voices yeah. when I teach. Like, yeah. I can just introduce you to this voice. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this voice absolutely. has meant a lot to me. Yeah. Like, you should yeah. listen. Yeah. Like, um, if yeah. all you get out of this sermon is that you read that book that yeah. I mentioned, yeah. like, yeah. that's a great thing. So the channel is really about... It's really sort of facing Canadians. Mm-hmm. I'm not really. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to engage them with Indigenous culture. Yeah. Not that I'm an expert on it. It's like, right. hey, these but are my friends. It's almost like join me in them. my learning. Joining me in my learning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a journey. Like in as your own identity yeah. has been opened up. Exactly. In the last six yeah. or seven years, yeah. to it's say, like, oh, hey, like, you guys, look yeah. what I found. Yeah. Come journey with me. And this is a part of my story, but it's also a part of yours. It is. Yeah. yeah. Any of us that walk on this. More thing. so than you might think. Exactly. Thanks, thanks to. Uh, DNA testing. Right. Process, right? <laughs> it's true. Right. It's true, yeah. Yeah. So I so my hope is to that. grow this channel into a yeah. large community of people that are really engaged and interested with indigenous After this podcast, Jay, it's going to take off. Oh, it'd be tens of people lining up, us. signing up for it. <laughs> That's cool. So, well, I'm And I do, want to start, I do want to start a podcast yeah. for Inspired Indigenous because creating films is quite time consuming, but I can, mm. you know, podcast is probably yeah. easier to That's cool. meet more people and... Look for that in the coming Look for that months. in the coming months. People. Yeah, people. <laughs> so I, I, it strikes me that we sort of started at like this, uh, you know, the young, the young Jay story. Yeah, the young Jay. You know, growing up with journalist parents. Yeah. And Inquisitive. Yeah, yeah uh, moving around a bit, uh, experiencing different aspects of family life, yeah. looking for friends, yeah. uh, finding church community yeah. as kind of strange as you sort of feel like it was when you look back. But like yeah. if this, this Jay, I had an option to join here, a satanic cult at that time, but I'm like, nah, I'm uh, maybe go not. I'm going to go like the, go with the church. Guys. <laughs> Give that a whirl. See what happens. It's a real problem. Yeah. Uh, so it, I, it strikes me like if this Jay yeah. could like go back and tell this version. Yeah. 3.0. Yeah. Like, 3.5. Young, you, you know, young Jay, yeah. like, searching jay i mean yeah uh, what what are some things that you'd say to yourself um oh that's very philosophical of you <laughs> what would i say i would say it, you know it's really work at being okay with yourself mm. being okay with who you are mm. being okay with the person that god made you mm-hmm. i was you know at that time i was really focused on not being a sinner, being saved. Mm. And so, you know, what does that mean? Okay, I'm not a sinner anymore. I have to be saved. So what does that mean? So um, not doing the naughty things anymore, trying to do the Jesus things every day, reading, praying your Bible, uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Very focused on the do, 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 as opposed to really exploring, okay, who really am I as a Mm -hmm. person that God has made? I'm not not completely a, a bad ugly thing obviously right. if god made me it's right. like so what is the balance between like mm. your sinful nature and just the person that, that that god made you to be kind of walking that out and being spending more time being okay with being just the person that you know god made you instead of worrying about your sinful nature right, all the time. Right, right. Let's, just let's just concentrate on feeding right. the good parts of you right. that god has made in and his delighting image delighting in them and yeah delighting. being curious about them. right delighting mm-hmm. being curious yeah, giving yourself permission to make mistakes, yeah. um, question without penalty, all of that kind of 
activity, I think, is is really helpful. I think we're a lot harder on ourselves than we need to be. We need to give ourselves permission to be who we are. I think that's very important. So speaking of being uh, being hard on ourselves or giving ourselves permission, Mm -hmm. uh, as we start this new creative endeavor here at Commons, starting a new podcast, a a new new place for our voice uh, to meet people in the week, you know, between the Sundays, uh, what advice do you have for us? I don't know because I haven't started a podcast. <laughs> but yet, you started so. creative things, Jay. I start creative things. <laughs> We're like, what sort of um, posture, you know, do you invite me, even just personally? Yeah. Because like, I start something new, uh, just start something new. What, what kind of posture should I take? I think just being genuine, genuinely inquisitive about the other person's story, I think, is the most authentic place to go it's like hey i just want to know about you Mm -hmm. and um asking the kind of questions around the world like that like hey i just want to know about you hey i just want to know about you speaking of that i I just want to know i just want to know about you wouldn't that be nice (laughs) i thought of an instagram account in fact i even started it i don't know if i'll ever get it off the ground but it was called um People like you and me, or something. Mm. It's, it's it's sort of like humans of New York, yeah, but it's a little bit different. So it's good. basically it was little video snippets mm. of people that I meet mm-hmm. with three questions, oh. but three really probing questions okay. like, "What's the most difficult thing you're facing today? Oh, yeah. What's your greatest hope for us as a species?" What's makes you happiest right now? Something mm. like three questions, and yeah. then video them. And then post those answers. because. And the reason I thought of that, I was down in Las Vegas. And I just ended up having to meet this really kind of well-known guy. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I had an Instagram account where it's just random people. And you're asking these really yeah. probing, get to the heart of who you are questions. Yeah. But it could be anybody. Yeah. It might be somebody you recognize. Right, it might right, be a celebrity. Right. It might be people you've never met. But yeah. it's we're all human. Right. We're all the same. And we all want to know about each other yeah that was the whole point of it and, so. and want the opportunity to to tell to tell it too we do like, the opportunity to for someone to like at first when you think oh probing questions did people answer them but then i hear the questions i think of course they did yeah like i want to be asked those questions of and course have we want to, listen to we want to be answer. known we want someone yeah. to know us yeah i think i want to lean into that so maybe one day i'll get that account i think exactly what you're saying though. yeah it is yeah. probing questions i think being as authentic as you can yeah and being in a safe place. In a safe I mean, place. Right? What else is mm. there? Well, there's ice cream. <laughs> ice cream's good too. My name is John, and I help Bobby make the episodes for Between Sundays. In reflecting on today's episode, I resonated with a handful of Jay's expressions of creativity, but mostly his interest in other people's passions, and specifically his idea for car people. The very first podcast I ever did was explicitly for the purpose of giving people's passions a space to be shared. And I'm happy to report that since this episode was recorded, the first episode of Car People is actually now live on YouTube. And so we'll link that along with the Inspired Indigenous YouTube channel in the show notes. Between Sundays is a production of Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network. Bobby Sockled is the host and Jonathan Petkow is the producer. Artwork by Anzi Ishak. Special thanks to Jay Gould for coming to hang out with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BTW Sundays. Thanks, everyone.